you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, speaking of tune-ups, we got a couple car questions today. You all know I love car questions, so we'll have some fun with that. Hair sponsor today is Harry's.com. Now, you've heard me talk about them before. This is a company that I absolutely love. Love the company and their product. Product I've been using for, golly, a couple years now, I suppose. And we're talking about a shaving razor. We're talking about a shaving razor that's going to make your face thank you in the morning for what you do to it. Well, it's also a company that they donate 1% of sales and 1% of company time to helping other worthy organizations. So they're in the same kind of category as Warby Parker and Tom's Shoes, you know, those socially responsible companies. So I appreciate what they're doing in that area, as well as having a great product. You know, that's, we, we could spend a lot of time on this. You know, there, there are some things out there that are put together by humanitarian organizations or nonprofits, and they have shoddy products or shoddy service and think, well, you still ought to do business with us because we're doing good in the world or doing something godly. No, hard to make that happen. If you want to do something godly and something good in the world, be the absolute best at what it is that you're going to do. Well, we'll come back. I'll remind you of Harry's again. You can go to harrys.com and use 48 days as a code to get five bucks off your first purchase. I would encourage you to do that pronto. Well, here's some of my notes for this week. Our theme is just start walking. Just start walking. Well, we'll expand on that with a quotation, but here's some of the questions. Dan, is poverty required for a life of service? Hmm. I'm having trouble finding my passion and doing work that means something for me. Here's one. I love this question. What keeps you and others like you working hard after achieving financial success. Wow. Is the end goal just to meet your financial needs and then you stop? Well, that's true for a lot of people. That's true for a lot of models that we hear about like retirement, that wonderful word. Well, we'll come back to that. Dan, what are your thoughts about jumping into real estate part-time? And here's one, Dan, I've hated my job since I took it two years ago. Well, our quotation for the day comes from Paulo Coelho. He wrote The Alchemist and some other wonderful books. Anyway, the quotation comes from him who says, man improves himself as he follows his path. If he stands still waiting to improve before he makes a decision, he'll never move. There's that fine line between learning, reading, gathering information and taking action. Well, in a lot of things, we'll talk about coaching. We're going to, we'll get some stories to share about coaches today. We'll talk about there. You become a great coach by coaching more so than by sitting in a cubicle or sitting in the classroom, reading a book. Well, a lot of things are like that. Well, let's look at some of the success stories. Hey, before I do, I want to remind you about this cool thing we got going on right now. With the 48 days countdown. I talked about it last week. If you go to 48days.com slash countdown, you're going to see a unique landing page there. And it's a, it's a page to introduce you to this really fun thing we're doing right now, where for $48, you can get 10 hardback 
autographed copies of 48 Days to the Work You Love. Now, we've never done this before. I mean, those sell every day for 20 bucks a piece. This makes them $4.80. Now, here's what we want you to do in this critical time leading up into the new year. We want you to go ahead and buy 10. Spend your 48 bucks, get 10 copies. We'll even give you some sample letters to send out to 90 of your friends where you say, hey, let's do this together. Let's do this challenge thing together, this countdown, because starting on October 1st, October 1st, I'm going to do an open teleseminar just for those of you in that group. A part of that is a carryover from all the questions we get here for the online radio show. I'll be shifting some over there and it's responding to your specific questions in that group. What do you want to accomplish next year? What do you think the obstacles are that are holding you back? We're going to unpack those October 1st. It's going to be an open teleseminar for everybody in that group. So this is the 48days.com slash countdown group. And then on November 18th, you know how many days later that is? Yeah, 48 days. We're going to do a wrap up for the same group with another open teleseminar. I want to hear what's already happened in that period of time. By then I want you to be crystal clear on what you're going to do in the new year. What you want 2015 to look like. If that's changing jobs, getting a promotion, starting your own business, whatever it is, improving your relationships, whatever it is you want to accomplish. Let's be absolutely clear on that by November 18th. Now that's also really close to the time. I, I always have my goals completely set out by November 14th. Now, if you know my branding number there, you'll know why too, because that's 48 days before the new year starts. So we'll give you a little fudge factor there, but we want you to then enjoy the 48 day countdown into the new year, knowing exactly what it is you want to accomplish and what your plan of action is. Now what you'll find happen is that once you get clear about what you want 2015 to look like and what your plan of action is, it's amazing how things start happening. You'll be amazed at what happens between November 18th and January 1st. It's like dominoes start falling over. Things start happening where you'll have a major jumpstart on the year that you want to have in place 2015 by the time January 1st gets here. That'll give you the encouragement, the motivation, the excitement to then just step on the gas, so to speak. We'll use a lot of car metaphors today, perhaps. So turn the turbo on, put you the met, pedal to the metal, and let's go. So join us in that 48days.com slash countdown. Well, we, we've got, as usual, lots of success stories. I'm going to share some that came from our out of our coaching group here just recently, we had a coaching with excellence group here and got some pretty exciting things that are happening there. I'll share a few of those stories, but also I wanted to give an update. I mentioned that we were going to be going up to Ohio for, as part of Carrie Oberbrunner's book launch. Carrie has a wonderful new book titled day job to dream job, practical steps for turning your passion into a full-time gig. Now, part of what Carrie did was used some of the yeah, some of what happened in the movie Shawshank Redemption. Now it just happens that just a couple of weeks ago here it was the 20th anniversary of Shawshank Redemption, and there was a big party, a whole weekend of activities in Mansfield, Ohio, based around the Mansfield State Reformatory, where that movie was filmed. Carrie spent part of his writing time in the prison, in the solitary confinement cells that we saw in Shawshank Redemption. 
And he talks about this whole process of getting out of the prison, whether that's a literal prison that you're in or a virtual one that you've created by feeling trapped in what you're doing. It was an, a marvelous weekend. We, we snuck up there, got up there for the big cocktail reception on Saturday evening. It was a great affair. Uh, food everywhere and, you know, announcements, presentations. And then some of the actors from Shawshank Redemption were there. The warden, that evil, nasty guy who was the warden. Well, turns out he's really a pretty nice guy. He was there. Uh, Tony, uh, Tim Robbins of course, who played Andy, Andy's wife and her lover, who were really killed quite early in the movie. Uh, they were there and a couple of the other actors as well. So we had a wonderful evening there. And then Sunday morning back in the prison, there was a church service where Carrie Oberbrunner presented the message and showed with using video a lot of the symbolism, the spiritual symbolism in the movie. So it was a wonderful event. And what a great way to launch a book. Now, here's the point with that. We know that 95% of authors never make more than $40,000 a year. That's pretty discouraging if you want to be a, a writer to think that you're going to be in that category. But here's the deal. When I got into writing, that was not discouraging to me. I simply said, wow, how difficult can it be to put yourself in the 5%? All I have to do is look at the 95% of authors and do things that they don't think about doing. Well, that's exactly what Kerry Oberbrunner was doing with his launch of day job to dream job. He did things that most authors never do. Trust me. He did things that 99% of authors never do. He, he had some really cool, he had a virtual party as part of his release for that. Then the weekend, the whole weekend based around Shawshank redemption, uh, invited Joanne and me and some other people up there. We had a wonderful, wonderful time. And Kerry certainly launched his great book. Well, here's some other success stories. And we just had coaching with excellence here a couple of weeks ago. You've heard me talk about that. And there are some pretty cool things that always happen here, but there were some unusual things that happened while we were sitting here. Ryan Hokinson from Broken Bow, Nebraska was one of our attendees. While we were here, he confirmed a 11, an $11,000 contract to do a short series of coaching seminars for a store owner where he'd made a presentation. Boom. What a cool thing to share with the group right here. John Schober confirmed his first coaching client while sitting here in our conference had the money come into his PayPal account and boom, he shared with us immediately right there. I mean, so these are people who came, who already had been taking action. They didn't come as just newbies into this process. They'd already been taking action, but these were very first money income for people while they were sitting right here. I mentioned last week, Camelia Craigus, who secured her first coaching client in the first week after coaching with excellence. She did that. She, um, wow. She, oh, and then we got a note from Vincent as well. Vincent Pugliese was here and he said, I attended coaching with excellence. Wanted to give you a quick update. Since I left the sanctuary, I dove into the information that you taught and provided for all of us. I coach photographers and small business owners. And so I'm excited to let you know that I have booked five full service clients to start my coaching business. This is within a week after coaching with excellence with many more in different varieties. I'm so excited by the amazing results that have happened already. Also, Kent Julian gave me the push that I needed to start looking into speaking 
And I've also booked several speaking gigs since then. And I've signed up for Speak It Forward in November. Just wanted to let you know how excited I am for what lies ahead. And I'm so grateful to you, Joanne, Ashley, Kent, and your entire crew. Thank you. From Vincent in Bethel Park, Pennsylvania. Well, another another guy who stopped by, who came to Coaching with Excellence about a year and a half ago. Royce Harrell lives right here in Brentwood, Tennessee. Royce came out of a corporate environment, had been successful as a medical clinic executive and kind of retired, but wanted to be engaged in the game as anybody productive does. Decided he wanted to coach young business leaders as well. Well, it was a real stretch for Royce. I'll never forget how much he struggled with charging for his services because frankly, he doesn't need the income but I encouraged him that it would increase the engagement of his clients if he charged for his services. He was also used to being a volunteer at his church, goes to Brentwood Baptist Church, major mega church right here as well. So people were used to seeing him as just a friendly guy who would volunteer and help coach them. And I said, you're going to help everybody if you establish prices for what you do kind of reluctantly stuck his toe in there. And the first coaching client, he got a check from, I have a copy of the check here in my notes that I share at coaching with excellence. It's a check for $1. Now it's a gentleman who had just recently filed bankruptcy, but really needed coaching. Royce agreed to coach him, but said, Dan's telling me I need to charge. So I need to charge you something. They agreed on a dollar. The guy wrote a check for a dollar and went on to really rebound Uh, in an astounding way, which is another story. But Royce, it kind of broke the dam for Royce that, yeah, I can charge for this, even though I want to serve people well, you know, I want to help them out. I have a heart to give, but charging helps everybody in the process. Well, he stopped in. So he went through coaching with excellence a year and a half ago. He stopped in and he said, yeah, I'd like to just see everybody who's here. I said, sure, come on by. So we didn't have anything planned. I didn't have any time for him allocated on our agenda. I didn't know of anything that he was going to say. And he just came by and shared, but he shared about what's happened in that year and a half and has seen the results with people who invested in the process, who had skin in the game, so to speak. So in as much as he started with that $1 and then he moved up to like a $1,500 package and a $2,500 package, his coaching packages now, and this was news to me. We pulled his website up on our big screen here while he was standing here his individual signature coaching package now is $7,200. That's kind of his starting point. He has an executive coaching package at $12,000 and told us that he had just signed up his first two clients at that level. Again, we talk a lot about ways to make money here. And it's not just about making the money. Making the money is a means to an end for all of us. That's not the end goal. The end goal is to have a life of purpose and meaning. I just interviewed Michael Hyatt and we talked about that at length that no matter what it is we're trying to do, if you're trying to build a blog following, if you're trying to add another 10,000 Twitter followers or get another 50,000 Facebook likes, I mean, those are all techniques. That's not the end game. Those are just techniques to get us to where we in fact are living a life of meaning and that life of meaning ought to involve giving and service, but you can do it effectively. You can do it in a legitimate way by helping people. And I love to hear these stories 
our coaches. Well, I won't go on with that. Incidentally, join, or Ashley and I just put up the schedule for 2015. So if, if you are, if this is going to be the year where you're going to launch yourself as a coach, I mean, some of the stories we have about people going from mediocre jobs to pretty astounding success in coaching are uh, not unusual around here at all. And the people that I talk about here, I mean, these are people you can talk to. These are not just some pie in the sky kind of examples that I'm pulling out, you know, rare examples. Now, these are just ordinary people who have come to events here, gotten clearly focused on what they want to do in coaching, and now they're out there making it happen. So you're welcome to talk to them. You can see a lot of examples. You can go to the Coaching with Excellence group in 48days.net and see what a lot of these people are doing. And certainly if you want to come to one of our events, we've got, uh, I had, I had talked about reducing the number of times we do coaching with excellence down to two times a year, but decided we would not do that. So we again have three dates scheduled for 2015. And then in addition to that, we have a coaching mastery two day event that is coming up in October and it'll be in October again next year. And that's limited to only people who are in our coaching mastery program. That's another level. And you can check out both of those things on the 48 days site. Just go to live events and you can, or coaching, you can see the coaching mastery program there, but you can also see the dates for coaching with excellence in 2015. We'd love to see you here for those. Certainly. Well, obviously those are some of our champions for today. We love hearing these stories. You got your own success story. We'd love to hear it here. It can be in any area. If you got your little car business going, we'd love to hear about that. Anyway, if you got a story, just go to the 48days.com site. Click on the podcast link and you can leave your success story right there along with a question if you've got it. Or you can just shoot that to me at askdan at 48days.com. Of course, anybody who's been through our coaching program has direct access to me here. We communicate a lot back and forth. So you can tell us your story, and we'll be glad to include that in an upcoming radio show right here. Now, this comes from Andrew. Interesting perspective here. And listen to what he says. He says, Dan, you often talk about how it is perfectly acceptable for a Christian to seek out wealth and prosperity through entrepreneurship and other vocations. I'm not religious at all, but I always listen, enjoy listening to your perspective on the topic because I find it refreshing for a Christian to stand up against the notion that a life of poverty is a life of service. Anyway, I came across an essay that I think you should definitely read and share with the 48 days community. The essay is called the entrepreneurial vocation by Robert Sirico. I found it in a book by Michael Justin Lee called Heroes of American Prosperity. According to Lee, the Acton Institute controls the copyright to this piece. So unfortunately, I cannot send you a link to it. Now, incidentally, before I go on, I need to just uh, clarify there. That was easy to find. The Entrepreneurial Vocation by Robert Sirico. I pulled it up in a PDF. I've got it up on my computer right now. I haven't read through it in, in its entirety yet, but I certainly will. It looks really intriguing. It's written written in one of those scholarly fashions, so the the grammar used is uh, unnecessarily complex, but that's okay. You can get through it and enjoy the principles. But he says, this quote, Andrew says, the quote that prompted me to email me was this. So this is a quote from that document. We are told that faith built the medieval cathedrals, no doubt, but faith would not have built anything had there been no architects and craftsmen. 
If it be true that the West Front of Notre Dame is a raising of the soul to God, that does not prevent its being a geometrical composition as well. To build a front that will be an act of charity, one must first understand geometry. We who acclaim the high worth of nature because it is God's work should show our respect for it by taking as our first rule of action that piety is never a substitute for technique. For technique is that without which the most fervent piety is powerless to make use of nature for God's sake. Nothing and nobody obliges a Christian to occupy himself with science, art, or philosophy, for there is no lack of other ways of serving God. But if he has chosen this way of serving him, the end he puts before himself obliges him to excel. The very intention that guides him compels him to be a good scholar, a good philosopher, a good artist. It is the only way he can become a good servant. End of quotation. Thanks for all you do from Andrew. I love that. I love that line. Piety is never a substitute for technique. Being spiritual is never a substitute for taking action. <laughs> and I wrote back to Andrew already. I says, oh my gosh, I love this. And yeah, Christians get their panties in a wad over taking action. A couple of times a year, I, oh, oh, a couple of times over the years, I've used this quotation, which comes from Antonio Stradivari. When a man holds twixt chin and hand a violin of mine, he will be glad Stradivari lived, made violins and made them of the best. If my hand slacked, I should rob God since he is the fullest good, but he could not make Antonio Stradivari's violins without Antonio. Now, surprising as it may seem, and it always is to me, I always get outraged from people who claim God could make violins without Stradivari. Now, now think about that. I mean, theoretically, we could go there, obviously. I mean, God can make Cadillacs without General Motors. He can make Apple iPhones without Steve Jobs and Apple, I suppose. But that's not usually the way it's played out. Usually he, he equips somebody with a unique talent who, in using that talent with excellence, then produces something of meaning and value. So when we see a beautiful cathedral... Yeah, that was because people took action, not just because they prayed and hoped that there would be something beautiful appear. Well, anyway, I, I love the love the whole concept here, um, Andrew. And incidentally, I, I try not to be religious either, but I certainly love exploring the spiritual world. Well, there's a book, you know, one of the books that I recommend frequently on here, and that is my friend Rabbi Daniel Lappin's book, Thou Shall Prosper. If you have any reservations about making money and at the same time being committed to being godly and Christian, read the book, Thou Shall Prosper. Now you can get that, audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days. You can get a free audio book copy of that. If you want to listen to it, and it's it's narrated by somebody else, but he sounds kind of like Rabbi Lappin anyway, but go to audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days. And you can get a free audio copy of Thou Shall Prosper. Now, I, I get them in both versions. I've worn out my print version of Thou Shall Prosper because I go back to it again and again and again. But I, I love the principles laid out in there. And I love this whole concept of, yeah, do you have to be poor to have a life of service? Absolutely not. 
mean, in many ways, and this is certainly not original with me, but you know, the best way to help the poor is to make sure you're not one of them. I mean, we can prosper and extend our ability to serve in meaningful ways. Well, maybe now's a good time to insert a little piece here. I did a couple of weeks ago, got a lot of comments on it, but uh, certainly there'll be some people who take exception to my vantage point here and rightfully so not a problem at all. Um, for those we'll, we'll play this little song. All right, so much for that. Let's go on to the positive questions here and deal with those. Ryan says, hi, Dan. I'm having trouble finding my passion and doing work that means something for me. I actually have a liberal arts degree. Now I'm not sure what that's good for. I was just going to college without direction, knowing it was something I needed to do to be successful. Of course, I was always told you need to go to college and you need to do something you love. That's exactly what I did. But once you get out in the working world, it's different. I always enjoyed history and that was my emphasis while studying. I went into that knowing the jobs were limited. Again, I feel like I was misled. I was always told if you had a degree in anything, it would give you a leg up. This is where my frustration began. Once I got to corporate America, no one cared if I even had a degree. I often found myself behind others who did not even attend college or in places where a degree did not give me any advantage. I've been reading your book and trying to implement your principles, which has helped change my mindset and given me hope. I still have the issue of the often quoted to me, what do you do with a history degree? So Dan, what can I do with a history degree and where do I even begin to look? And can I double my income with this type of work field? I'm hoping to get some further guidance from you on this. If this helps, I love diving into a subject and learning everything I can about that researching or working in archives types of thing would be so much fun. I would get to learn more and discover more about certain things and become an expert on those projects. Where does one look for that type of work? Most places want interns or volunteers. I however cannot afford nor have the time to approach that. Honestly, I have not even really found anything anywhere that this type of work is even used. I just do not know where to look for this type of thing. And I was hoping I could use some of your expertise on this. Well, Ryan, you share the sentiment of a whole lot of people out there who feel misled because they went to college and got a degree in things that don't really give them any marketable skills or marketable value. Now, however, that being said, don't think that I'm just throwing out any value that comes from being in college, because I think there's great value in that for a lot of people. I certainly chose that as a method of broadening my horizons. But what you have to look at is how did that help change you as a person? How did it make you the person that you are today? How did it in fact expand your horizons? Not necessarily. How did it position you for one career? That may not be true. I mean, we know it's very clear that 10 years after graduation, 80% of college graduates are working in something totally unrelated to their college degree. And that's okay. That's not a bad thing. We have to be realistic about what college really does. And it's not just to give us marketable skills that may come in other ways. 
when I look at my own education, I mean, I spent a lot of time sitting in the classroom and getting degrees. Yes. But the real education that has value for me today came from just getting involved in things. I mean, from trying little businesses. I mean, from the time I was a little kid, I was you know, going door to door. And that was kind of difficult where I lived. We lived way out in the country in a farming community. So houses were half a mile apart. And I was knocking on doors in the middle of winter selling Christmas cards. You know, and then I'd pick the corn after my mom had all the corn she could possibly can and freeze. I'd get up five o'clock in the morning, go out in the garden and pick corn by the bushel put it in a little red trailer that we had hooked behind our tractor. And I'd drive two miles up to where there was a paved road and sit there beside the road and sell it. That's how I got an education by doing things like that. I mean, my first car I built from the ground up, paid $50 for a model T a model, a Ford body, built a frame for it, put a Chrysler Hemi engine in it, pieced it together piece by piece. Those were the things that provided an education that really helped me. I mean, growing up at the farm, I value greatly knowing a little bit of plumbing, electrical, mechanical, carpentry. And those are great skills, but I didn't learn those in a classroom or reading a book. Learning by doing things. So you want to get involved. Don't stand on the sidelines, just like our opening quotation today. You learn by being on the path, not by just sitting, trying to make a decision. So now, now, last week, and it was just last week, so I apologize about being redundant here, but I used an example of Jim Hodges, who I talk about in No More Dreaded Mondays, where Jim got out of the military, having been in education prior to that, he thought, well, when I get out of the military, I got to go back into the classroom, and he wasn't too excited about that, but that's what he was trained for. I mean, what else are you going to do with a degree in history, as you're describing here? And his wife asked him that fateful question. Jim, what would you do if money were no object? And he immediately responded, I'd sit around the house all day and read old history books. Well, as I described last week, and as I relate the story, a true story in No More Dreaded Mondays, that's what Jim does today. He sits around the house and reads old history books. Now, in doing so, he creates audio products that are then sold to homeschooling students primarily. But in doing that, I mean, he makes four times what a normal history teacher would make. But you've got to look for that unique application when you say that you'd love to do, you know, research and spend your time in the archives. Well, come up with a creative way where rather than just being paid $15 an hour for doing that, you could do that and turn it into something that would have unique value to people. You could turn it into some kind of a product that would have residual income for you. I mean, that's the way you get to start thinking through here. So you don't feel trapped by having that history degree, but that you start to look for unique opportunities that take you outside of that, of what people normally do with a history degree. That's okay. I mean, look at the degrees of people who are, are well-known out there. You'll be surprised to find people. As a matter of fact, I think, I think that in my research, I just read that Michael Jordan has a degree, a bachelor's degree in history. I think that's right. I need to double check that, but there are certainly people out there who have degrees in history and they didn't end up trapped, you know, in doing something that would be traditional application of that. They went on and did something that was significant based on talents that they had. So ask yourself that question. You know, what is it that you have as a marketable skill? What is it that you could do? I mean, having a degree in history was probably just part of the foundation to get you where you are, but don't look to that too heavily as being the only source of career direction for you. Do you want to go way beyond that? 
Well, Brad Haven sent in just workplace humor, just a cute little story I'll read to you. Now, you got to really pay attention here to get this. This is, this is it. After six months of working for the company, it's time for your evaluation. So you walk into the boardroom where three designer suit clad personnel managers are sitting behind a mahogany desk. The one on the left scans your file, looks up at you accusingly and says, I see here that you did not report for work at 9 a.m. one single time during this entire period. The woman in the middle shakes her head and remarks, this is a Fortune 500 company. Instead of a jacket and a tie, you continually show up for work wearing jeans. The man on the right stares at the papers in his hand and says grimly, our surveillance cameras show that you spend less than 10% of your time working at your desk. The rest of the time, you're walking around the building. The first evaluator shoots a question. Do you have anything to say for yourself? Yes. The guy replies with confidence. I was hired as the night watchman. Well, cute little story about workplace, the things that frequently do happen there that are hard to, that where you scratch your head and go, are you serious? Yeah, they do. Well, Jason says, Dan, you have so many great resources available to people searching to find the work they love, but it can be overwhelming to know which one to start with. I'm trying to understand what my passion is and go from there. Which of your resources do I start with and what is a natural progression after that? Thanks, Dan, for all you do. You're a beacon of light. Well, thanks for your, thanks for your question, Jason. Now I'm going to, I'm going to assume from your question that you don't have any of my resources yet. So it's pretty easy for me to start you on a path. And what I'll do is I'm going to send you just complimentary copies of wisdom meets passion. Start with that to figure out what your passion is. And I'll also send you a copy of 48 days to the work you love, because then that's going to be the application. What do you do after you define what your passion is to put legs on that, get a position, find a job or create work and start generating income. So I'll make a note for the gals to get that out to you pronto. We'll send you a copy of wisdom meets passion. You know, and I love your comment here. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, you're a beacon of light. I, I, I love this kind of comment. One of the most, favorite comments I've ever gotten from one of you listeners and oh, I'd have to go back to see who it was, but it says, thank you again, Dan, for being a light along the road, less traveled. Wow. That resonates road, less traveled. You know, M Scott Peck's book road, less traveled. Um, wow. Dan, for thanks for being a light along the road, less traveled that I, I love that. I love that thought. Well, Mike says Mike from Nashville, Tennessee, Dan, I've seen the quotes about security being the enemy of creativity and passion. I was wondering what motivates you and your other successful friends that I assume probably have a fair amount of financial security. What keeps you and others like you working hard after achieving financial success? Mike, I love your question. Love where you're coming from on that. It's a very valid point because, well, let me just uh, address a short time ago in one of my blogs, I quoted a passage that says, and it actually comes from, well, let me think a minute. It comes from Chris Gilboo's new book, The Happiness of Pursuit. Isn't that a great title? The Happiness of Pursuit. I'd love to recommend that for you, the audio version, but it's not up yet. I'll have to ask Chris if he's going to do the audio version because it's not yet available apparently, but I'd love to have that that I could recommend to you. But in that book, it says nothing is more damaging to the adventurous spirit within a man than a secure future. Now think about that. 
nothing is more damaging to the adventurous spirit than a secure future. And yet what do most people, what does the common person look for? Security. Wow. You know, and I'm, I wrote in that blog, security is not our friend. It is more likely to bury our adventurous spirit and our passion for being fully alive. In a recent Entree Leadership podcast, Seth Godin told Dave Ramsey he encourages people to do enough that something doesn't work. Now, we used that as a theme a couple weeks ago. Do enough that something doesn't work. That's where we find new opportunities, new solutions, and new adventures. So in response to your question, what keeps me going? What keeps Michael Hyatt going? What keeps Dave Ramsey going? What keeps Seth Godin going? Even if we don't need to be too concerned about, you know, the mortgage being paid next month. Um, I equate this process of creativity and passion and continued development. I mean, you cut me off from that. You might as well cut off my breathing. And to me, that's more vital than breathing. I can't imagine a life where I was not continuously developing reading. I've got on my desk right here. It just came in the mail today, the brand new issue of fast company. You know, I can't wait to start digging into that. So if you come by and I'm sitting out in a swing here in front of my office, reading fast company, am I working or playing? Well, I love the kind of ideas in there. I love to see innovation, love to see hear stories about people that are doing new creative things. It stimulates my own creativity. I continue to go to workshops and seminars and read books voraciously because I continue in this process. I hope that I'm a better coach today than I was not only 10 years ago. I hope I'm a better coach today than I was a year ago because I continue to learn and study and talk to other people in that space and go to workshops and seminars. So it's life giving to me to continue to nurture my own creativity and passion. And I know that is for you as well. It's not just about getting to a point where we then have financial security. That's not it at all. This is an ongoing process, but that's, that's what's so unique about living a life where you are doing work that you love. The financial goal diminishes even though the financial income tends to increase exponentially. It's almost counterintuitive in the way that this happens because we think, well, gee, we're working so we make money. No, if you're working because you're doing work that you love, money tends to show up in unexpected ways and increases. But doing the work you love has its own rewards. It's not just for the financial return. It has its own rewards because you are doing something meaningful and purposeful and fulfilling. And to stop doing that, that's why retirement has zero appeal for me and frankly, the other names that I've just mentioned as well. I could, I'm totally 100% confident of that. I mean, Seth Godin doesn't have to get up in the morning and scratch his head and figure out how he's going to make another $1,000. No, but he continues to be the most innovative, inspiring dude in the position of marketing, you know, that I know on the face of the earth because that's what he does. It's not about the money. So if the money and and most of the people that I engage in, in personal coaching at this point, 
it's not a money issue. I mean, I have the privilege of working with people who have knocked it out of the park financially. You know, they couldn't spend all the money they've made if they tried, but they still ask the question, why do I get up in the morning? What am I going to do that gives me a sense of purpose and belonging, a sense of doing something, you know, that's making a contribution. I mean, if you cut that off, I mean, that's why the, the idea of retirement is so repulsive to me because it implies I've made enough money to take care of my own needs. And so I'm going to unplug and just stop being productive. And is that really an appealing prospect? I mean, it, it's certainly not to me. Well, anyway, golly, obviously I could go on a, on and on on that. Love the question, but no, when you, when you find work that's meaningful, you do it because it has its own rewards. It's not just to get to an end point and then unplug what you're doing that has been productive. Not at all. Uh, Rick says, Dan, I appreciate the tremendous value you continue to deliver your listeners. I admire your constant willingness to share. What are your thoughts about jumping into real estate part-time as a transition from a full-time sales job? Many agents say it's the ideal way to get started in the business, provided you are willing to prospect, network, and sell your services, especially if you have experience and success in other sales roles. Well, I, I love real estate. I mean, I love most everything about it, but like most things, I would not be thrilled about doing that part-time on a continuing basis. So I would approach it in this way. Now, granted, it may take a little bit to get your license and to get positioned as an agent. And it may take a little bit of time to prospect and start getting your funnel full. But I'd look at it as that as a 90 to 180 day maximum window to then transition. I don't think long-term you can be, you can really maximize your success if you're just doing it part-time. And with the potential that's there, if you are good and doing it with excellence, it's going to make any kind of job you could possibly have pay on comparison. So get involved part-time, that's fine. But then really invest in the process where you can then switch in that 90 to 180 days, three to six months. That's what I would consider maximum in order to make a complete switch and do that. If you aren't looking to making a complete switch, I'd say do something else. Don't do real estate. It's too, it's too taxing to be doing it part-time. I mean, in that period of time, you're going to be making sacrifices in other areas of your life because you're obviously going to have to be working, you know, nights and weekends. Well, you don't want to do that on a continuous basis. I mean, frankly, and incidentally, you don't need to do that as a real estate agent either. No, 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 you don't. Well, anyway, uh, but don't, you don't want to do that on an ongoing basis where you're working a full-time job and then working evenings and weekends. Geez, that's no fun. So look at it as an opportunity to transition into that or else just choose something else. I mean, choose something else. I mean, have a little eBay business or something on the side that'll continue to, to develop and generate residual income for you where it doesn't take a lot of time, but you're doing that as a part-time thing, not real estate. Okay. This comes from an old, change the name here. Let's call this one Mary Lynn. She says, I've hated my job since I took it two years ago. In my spare time, I make signs out of pallets, sell my nature photography on a small scale, but I have dreams of doing this type of work full time. My husband is a business owner and I'm the one who provides health insurance for the family. My company recently announced opportunities to drop to part-time status. I'd like to drop to 30 hours so I can have more time to build my business. The problem is I hate my job and I don't want to do it anymore. 
I'm afraid if I take the position to a part-time status and then quit, I'd be leaving my supervisor in a bind. Should I keep my 40 hour work week and see how far I can get my business going or drop to 30 hours knowing I don't plan on staying there? Well, you present kind of a catch 22. There's multiple things in here. If you don't like your job, then certainly you ought to be creating an exit plan to get out of there. So if you think that going to a 30 hour a week status would be like starting over in terms of commitment, then yeah, don't do that. Just keep the position you have. But again, look for that three to six month window time opportunity there where you can transition full-time into what you're doing. Can you build your nature photography business to where it would be full-time income for for you? Now you say your husband's a business owner. You're the one that provides health insurance. You know, unless there's some kind of dramatic pre-existing condition, that's not really a big deal. You can get insurance a whole lot of places. I mean, we've got links under helpful resources where you can go. And there's certainly other companies we can introduce you to I mean, it's a very competitive market out there. It's not nearly as difficult as it used to be to get insurance as an independent contractor, entrepreneur, freelancer, any of those things. That's become more and more common. And more and more companies are saying, we aren't going to bear the brunt of health insurance anyway. You better get used to having it on your own. Now's a good time to look at that. If you and your husband are both business owners, get an HSA, health savings account. It's a wonderful opportunity with all kinds of tax advantages for people that work on their own. Craig says, now this is a very lengthy. Well, you know what? I, I got to squeeze one in here real quick because I promised we'd get to a, a car one. Corey says, and this is, this is a very lengthy question here, but he says, thanks so very much for your service willingness to give. You're a perfect example of what Gary Vanacek talks about in his book, The Thank You Economy. I followed you for years, received great advice, motivation along the way. I own all of your books, beginning with my old three-ring binder, a 40 days to creative income with the CDs inside. Well, from back in 2000, on up through Wisdom Meets Passion, which really speaks to me on a personal basis. Well, thanks. Thanks, Corey. I appreciate those comments. You go through a lot of information here. And it starts out, uh, Corey starts his question. He says, I feel like I'm looking at one of those magic art pictures, but I can't see the hidden object. Isn't that a great setup? Isn't that a great metaphor? You know, those 3D images where you got to look really carefully and then an image appears. He says, well, I'm looking at one of those and I can't see anything. Well, great, great setup. Now, Corey describes in at great length his affinity for cars, his addiction to cars and the kind of things that he'd love to do with cars. He says, I have about 25 ideas involving the automotive industry that I feel might be a good fit based on what I've learned about myself. I've written them down and studying them. Now he also talks about his, his tendency as a high SC personality to uh, be of the, in essence, the ready, aim, 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 aim kind of guy. Whereas I've described myself many times as I'm the kind of, you know, ready, fire, aim kind of guy. He's the ready, aim, aim, aim. So in some ways it may just be time to pull the trigger and just do something. I commend you on the kind of things that you've described that you have gotten into Corey. But if you've got 25 ideas, take, give yourself 30 days, 30 days, get the input of other people, do some more research, narrow down to three or four ideas, go a little bit deeper, choose one and act. That doesn't mean that the other 24 aren't good ideas or that you may come back to them at some point, but just get in the game with something. I mean, if it's having, if it's having 
a little lot that you lease down in the corner and you have consigned cars there or you allow people to park them there and you take 10% of the sales price when they sell them. I mean, just do something creative in terms of what you can do. If you want to do detailing on cars, I've got a car I'm taking in tomorrow morning to get a complete detail, you know, 225 bucks. I mean, wow, if you do um, four of those a week, I mean, it takes about four hours to do one like that. So you can do the math on that. I mean, just get in the game and do something like that to scratch that itch that seems to be so prevalent for you. I love it. You know, we'll come back and revisit that. I've got a lot of ideas related to the, the car business and um, a lot of things. Every time I go by one of the lots around here in Franklin, Tennessee, that's vacant, my head snaps around. I think, oh my gosh, I could have, you know, 20 cars parked there and just have fun dealing with people, helping to make car decisions, giving them fun things to drive. I'd still enjoy that. Probably not going to do that. Got a few things on my plate at this point, but I love the idea. Hey, don't forget our 48days.com slash countdown process. Go over there, check out what we're doing there. Invite 90 of your friends to get involved in this challenge. You, you provide the resource for them. Make yourself a hero. Go through the 48-day challenge. Be absolutely crystal clear by November 18th what you're going to do. Again, that process is going to start with an open seminar on October 1st. So we'd love to see you there. 48days.com slash countdown. Remember our quotation? Man improves himself as he follows his path. If he stands still, Waiting to improve before he makes a decision, he'll never move. Kind of jumped over the top of that. The end of that with my music there. Sorry about that. Anyway, that's it for today. Thanks for being part of this amazing community. Where together we are, in fact, finding or creating work that is meaningful, productive, purposeful, fulfilling, rewarding, serving, all those wonderful things, and profitable. Don't settle for less.